Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! I will have a Welsh rare bit with a poached egg on top, not too runny, and bacon, scones, butter, cream, jam, not strawberry, pot of lapsing, and one licorice pizza? Hello and welcome to Little Marty, the only podcast on the internet dedicated to covering the works of... Martin Scorsese and Adam Sandler and uh, the Andersons also. My name <laughs> is Eric Anderson. And my name is Jeremy Anderson. What's up? What's up? What's up indeed. You know, uh, I, 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 I'm realizing that this may be confusing to uh, you know listeners that... We did announce this on the last episode, but if you missed that episode, we, uh, we used to be a, a podcast called... Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator, and uh, we covered the the works of the Andersons, the the directors whose names end with Anderson, and uh, we had to take a detour, Jeremy, because we, uh, you know, while we have been covering Scorsese and Sandler, we get two freaking movies from these Anderson fellas, mm. and uh, we got to stop what we're doing, and we got to we we just got to cover them, you know. Yeah, man, our podcast. Um, Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator, which came out right before Little Marty, was perfectly timed for the release of these uh, these films. At least the French Dispatch, for sure. We know that one for sure was affected um, by COVID nineteen, and um, yeah. So instead of them coming out when they were supposed to, when we would have covered them, you know, perfectly well at the end of our. Uh, series we had to wait because of the uh because of the delays and whatnot Um, yeah i would say that is the biggest tragedy of this whole pandemic thing people don't really take that into consideration when they talk about how unprecedented this time is and it's really about how it affected us specifically in our podcast (laughs) yeah and me not being able to see uh you know cooper hoffman selling waterbeds (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Jeremy, it's 2022. You know, we're we're having a great time over here. It's it's 2022. The podcast is better than ever. And you know what? We uh we we don't we don't just do this one measly podcast. We actually have a much better one <laughs> yeah. that we do. T- Jeremy, tell the people how they can listen to our our real podcast, the good one. Well, you would have to park your little ass over to patreoncom slash Jeremy where we basically take our shoes off, take our stinky, stinky socks off, and put them right in a big bowl of macaroni. That's right. We (laughs) relax on that podcast, Eric. We let our hair down. We cover things like um, the best little whorehouse in Texas, episodes of Tales from the Mm. Crypt. We've covered, um, at one point, we we covered a movie called The Baby. Which it, that is true. Which I am not going to tell you the, the premise of that. You will have to Google it. You know, Jeremy. Speaking of Dolly Parton, I was watching a, uh, a documentary uh, last night uh, uh, on Linda Rodstad. I did not. I did not reali- realize that her, Emmylou Harris, and Dolly Parton were like in a uh, trio together. Oh, that's great. What were they called? Um. I don't know if they have a name. Mm. I think it's just their names together. But they, uh, but yeah, Dolly Parton's like interviewed in this in this documentary. Oh, that's so. Cool. I know that I, I'm saying this because apparently we have a huge crossover between uh, fans of our podcast and Dolly Parton fans. So uh, if you are interested, mm-hmm. the CNN documentary on Linda Ronstadt does feature uh, quite an extensive uh, uh, interview with Dolly right. Parton. Right. <laughs> anyway 
Wow. Sorry. Sneezed. And it had to be on mic. It's always got to be on mic, Jeremy. And we are, uh, you know, this is exciting, my man. This is exciting. Licorice pizza. This is, I'm not going to lie to you. This is the first time I've been back. I've been to a movie theater since this whole thing started. And I think the movie that I, the last movie that I had seen in theaters might, have been uncut gems ah interesting that's yeah. uh that's actually that's going quite a bit backwards huh because that i think that, that was a 2019 film no interesting that means you I it's mean, possible it's, yeah. it's possible you didn't see a movie in in the first three months of i think it i think it is possible though because uh, i mean i don't know i just I've pretty much realized that like nothing good comes out in January through March, right? For the most part, Except so it's it's very movie. possible. Sure, and the and the new screen movie that I'm going to see on Sunday, probably. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, that's a uh, you know, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I well, so walk me through your experience. Um, you know, without getting too much into the movie itself, like what. What was it like going back to the theater? It was good. I mean, I'm pretty much like, you know, whatever. Like, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable going into public situations at this point. And uh, you know, I'm pleased the uh, the 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 th- the chain of theaters in my uh, area, my geographic area, Jeremy, is called Marcus. Hmm. And Marcus, I worked at a uh, Marcus Cinema in high school. Uh, so I got deep roots with this Marcus, and they, and they they used to be. Uh, I gotta I gotta be honest with you, as someone who like worked at that movie theater, pretty gross, pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, right. There's like mice running around, and uh, those seats are nasty when you turn all turn the lights all the way up. They have since like sort of redone, and I I think a lot of theaters have been doing this. They have redone everything. They they basically. They're like, okay, we got to like compete with the fact that people can just sit in their house and watch new releases on huge TVs with like great sound mm. and not have to go anywhere. Yeah. So they put in these like, uh, all of their theaters have these like luxurious, like leather reclining seats uh, that are incredibly this. comfortable. They, you know, there's tons of space. They're, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting what's going on at the uh, the movie houses these days, Jeremy. Because I, I, I got to say, I liked the experience. I was like, I didn't feel like it was a relatively full theater. I didn't feel like cramped in there. I got to lean back, you know, without yeah. having to like prop my, prop my feet up on the seat in front of me and worry about the people behind me getting their view blocked. Yeah. Or... uh I don't know. It just it was it was nice. It was it was nice to be back, and I uh, I, I was immediately t- thinking about uh, when I'm going to go back next. It, like I said, I think I am going to go see that Scream movie because I do miss yeah. those horror movies in a in a, in a movie theater. That's but, great. Uh, well, tell me this though. Whenever you were uh, tell me what what when you were watching this film, what did what were you dreaming about when you fell fast asleep because you were so comfortable? So I had this crazy dream that I was uh, in in a great debt, and a an opportunity came to me to uh, 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 basically a painting was was heisted, Jeremy, <laughs> and <laughs> I had an opportunity to grow a mustache uh-huh. and track down this painting. Mm. No, this is a uh, <laughs> I am I'm reciting the uh, the plot to the film Mordecai. Mordecai, man. We'll we'll get into it, but we're we we are. Uh, if you've list, been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that we've been doing everything our, in our power to not have to cover the movie Mordecai. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think the mission statement of this podcast is we w- we want to cover every movie except for Mordecai. And uh, long story short, we have to cover Mordecai after this. Uh, we have to do an episode on Mordecai. So yeah, 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 we do. Uh, it's it's the law. It's the law. Brian made it. Jeremy, so. what, what was your? Uh, you live out there in in L.A. Did you did you have any special screening? Was there, was there any like Q and A or anything? I know they do stuff I, like that out there. The, I, I don't know if I've shared it already on this on this show yet, but yeah, no. So we it was um, 
It was a day after Thanksgiving, actually. So Black Friday was the day that I bought tickets for. Uh, uh, li- li- what's it? Sorry, I'm trying to list list rice. You almost got it. Lisa rice. There you go. Lisa rice pizza, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, it was all. It was playing. Um, at the Westwood Regency Theater, which is over sort of by Santa Monica, Eric, on the west side, for people who know Los Angeles. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a historic theater. Uh, we got there, we parked our car um, in a, it was, it was, of course, very packed. Like, I kind of didn't realize what I bought tickets to, but it was like an event. So it was like they had a bunch of screenings of uh, licorice pizza that entire day and the and that entire weekend, and they had a pop up pinball arcade that was all done up to look like the pinball arcade in the film. Um, and uh, we went to a screening that I think was about like five p.m. maybe, but the screening right before that, uh, PTA and his wife um and kids all showed up and were outside taking photos with everybody so wow it, did you happen to see him did you did you see him off in the distance no but i've seen him before uh my wonderful partner uh jackie she bought me tickets uh back uh, a few years back when the phantom thread came out she actually bought me tickets to go see it at the ace hotel with a live orchestra and both pta and greenwood showed up to introduce the film which was cool um, but no, I didn't get to see him this time. Unfortunately, I would have been cool to see Maya Rudolph for one, um, yeah. or any of the other, I guess, actors or cast in the, in the, in the film. Um, but it was Eric. I mean, it was like, it was probably a, I don't know, 300 seater, maybe more. And it was packed like just, just ball, balls to the wall packed. Um, it was crazy. It. it was crazy seeing it with a, with a full house. Um, I couldn't have been more excited going into that movie. And I mean, like that probably colors a lot of my feelings of the film. Like, you know, if I had watched it on my iPhone on a plane or something, it might be different than watching it like on, you know, a whole month before it's release date in the historic Westwood area, in that historic theater with all those people. Um, and just like a huge 70 millimeter screen like humongous screen. And then we got back to our car and it took us, um, we had dinner plans afterwards and, uh, the people at the, uh, parking garage wanted everyone to pay cash. So we were gridlocked inside the parking garage. <laughs> we couldn't get out. And, um, uh, so instead of leaving, we just left, we walked out of the garage and, and, uh, Ubered to our dinner appointment. <laughs> Okay. And then we had to be dropped back off in Westwood <laughs> later to come. Oh, I was hoping car. the story ended with you just left your car. <laughs> yeah, our car is still there <laughs> in Westwood. Um, yeah, so I, I got an incredibly privileged Los Angeles experience, which um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to move to LA. Um, I would not recommend moving to LA <laughs> to go see Licorice Pizza, um, uh, but uh, hey, it doesn't hurt. You know, you know. One time, I went to a uh, double in, at the Cinerama Dome. I went to a, a double feature. Um, it was "Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot." That Gus Van, yeah. I think it's Gus Van Zandt, mm-hmm. uh, and Joaquin Phoenix. They did a Q and A after that, and then the following show was the um, uh, what's the Bo Burnham one? Oh, eighth, eighth grade. grade, yeah. Eighth grade, and then he he did a Q and A. But between the shows, Jeremy, between the movies, Jeremy, I, I went to a uh, there was a star there's a Starbucks over there. You know who I saw uh, walking in when I was on my way out? Mark Duplass. Oh wow! And then I saw him later at eighth grade drinking the Starbucks coffee. So I guess if you're a director, you can just like bring in food to movie theaters. Yeah, <laughs> without, without I think you can do that if you're just a regular schmo. Really? Yeah. I one time mm. brought in a rotisserie chicken to go see the film uh, Lady in the Water. Well, that sounds... 
<laughs> For some reason, that that sounds unpleasant, trying to eat a rotisserie chicken in a dark theater. Yeah, I couldn't anyway. see anything. I, I missed my mouth every time I tried to put chicken in my mouth. Jeremy, Paul W.S. Anderson, Wes mm. Anderson, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson, Adam Sandler, Martin Scorsese. Who do you think is the tallest of the bunch? Oh, great question. It's either, it's one of the Pauls. No, uh-huh. is it Wes? No, close. Is it one of the Pauls? Paul W.S. Anderson yeah. is six foot three. Of course, of course. Uh, here's something interesting, though, uh, Jeremy. Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Adam Sandler, and who's the other person we were talking about? Oh, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson, Adam Sandler, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. All 5'10". Really? What do you think of that? Paul Thomas Anderson's 5'10"? Yep. Wow. That's kind of, that's uh, yeah, it's average height, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Is that is five ten average height? I have no idea. <laughs> I just, I have no idea. I feel like between five and eight feet. Between four feet and eight feet is about average. Right. Most right. people are not under four foot, or over eight foot. I have no, yeah, that is something that I've noticed. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, let's stop monkeying around here and let's mm. get into it because we're talking licorice pizza. This is, this, is, this is a big, it's a big movie. The last one that we got to see was Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. Right. Yeah, and this you know, is uh, to, quite a bit different. Yes, I was listening to a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I listened to uh, a number of interviews with. Both Paul Thomas Anderson and Alana Haim uh, about the film. Paul Thomas Anderson was talking about how uh, the whole experience of making, um, I think the question that he was asked was sort of like why he chose this for his next project. And he was talking about how, um, what's it called? Uh, 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 Phantom Thread was such an exhausting process because he had to like do all this research and learn about, you know, this thing. And then, it you know, they filmed it overseas and he had to, it's a period piece and all this stuff. And he, at one point, had kind of just made the decision that he wants to do another, he wants to do something closer to home. You know, he wants to do something where he's, um, he was talking about, you know, when you're when you're doing a period piece, you're like doing all this research, like you know, literary research and technical right. research, and it, it can it can be very exhausting. But when you're writing a movie, a story, and your resources that you're using are your own memory, right? It's just like so much easier to do. Yeah, and I kind of like that. I love I I love that uh, that's kind of like what this movie is is like. Paul uh, Thomas Anderson, like pulling from his own memories as a as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and some of this uh, some of this background is actually pretty interesting. So the uh, genesis of the story is he was actually walking past a, a middle school in Los Angeles on Picture Day, and he saw one of the students nagging uh, one of the photo- photographers, much like uh, Cooper does to Alana. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the in the film, and that that was kind of like the genesis of of the story. And then he he has this friend Harry Goatsman, who was a child actor, and eventually started a waterbed company and a, a pinball arcade. Mm-hmm. Who obviously is, was a great inspiration to to the film. He had also at one time delivered a waterbed to John Peters, mm-hmm. who we see in the movie. <laughs> um, and we'll get to that in a little bit because that's very funny. Um, yeah. Two two of the films that influenced Licorice Pizza the most, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and uh, American Graffiti, mm-hmm. which uh, we get that Sean Penn cameo, by the way. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll, have you ever seen American Graffiti? I haven't. And it actually, every time, because I've, I've, I feel like I've listened to probably a lot of the same interviews you've heard, um, and it gets brought up a lot you know, when talking about this film and it, and it makes me kind of really want to see that film. And it, I feel like I've had this thought before where it's like, you should really watch that. And then I just kind of forget. So I'm going to try to not forget this time and, and watch it soon. Yeah. 
Um, so John Peter is the character that Bradley Cooper plays. Um, it's, it is based on a real guy. The real guy <laughs> is like not as insane. No, 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 <laughs> as no. John as 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 Bradley Cooper's Our, portrayal. That's that's wrong. The, he is as insane, if not more is insane. He? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not based on it's John Peters. John Peters is oh. John Peters. Yeah, yeah. Like Sean Penn's character is based on a real guy. This is John Peters. This was like he talked to John Peters about the role before he before he made the movie. John Peters. Oh, has a, see the interview I ha- I I heard. He said that he had written it this way. Mm-hmm. And then sent John Peters the script. Yes. To be like, is this all right mm-hmm. or whatever? And uh, John Peters was like, fine with it. But then he, uh, but then he said, you have to add my pickup line, mm-hmm. which I believe yeah. is, do you like peanut butter sandwiches? <laughs> <laughs> which is so funny that that's where that line came from because that's one of the funniest lines in the movie. Yeah. Oh God, man. Yeah, you should. Um, in Evening with Kevin Smith, they they talk about. Uh, Kevin Smith has a very famous John Peters story um, where he was pitching Superman um, to John mm. Peters once upon a time back in the 90s. And yeah, by all intents, by all accounts, John Peters is one of those, well, he's just like a lot of the celebrities and producers and directors from that era where he was like, you know, they they lived a more fast and dangerous sort of life you know, the all or nothing days, whatever you want to call it, you know, this sort of, you know, always on some sort of substance and just, you know, there's like, there's like legends uh, revolving around John Peters and his relationship with Barbara Streisand. It's uh, yeah, he's a fascinating Hollywood character and it's fascinating that he's also still alive. The guy is like, uh, gotta be very old at this point. Um, but yeah, man, uh, yeah, I this the way Bradley Cooper plays John Peters is how I've always heard John Peters described. Like the I also like the lines where he talks about from being from the streets. He talks to <laughs> he talks to but Bradley Cooper playing John Peters talks about being from the streets to Cooper Hoffman a lot, and that's something apparently John Peters used to actually do. Is just talk about how he was from the streets and he would like relate to like you know people who like claim to come from the streets because like he grew up I, I guess in like maybe like a poor neighborhood or like a more lower income area but it's just so funny that a guy in an all-white suit <laughs> white guy in an all-white uh disco uh jumper is talking to you about um being from the streets come growing up in a rough yeah. neighborhood you know like it's uh yeah he's quite he's quite a character um let's see here so we remember the, the the rumors back in you know back in 2020, Jeremy. I remember the the working title for this movie was Soggy Bottom. Yeah, and I remember yeah. hearing that and being like, man, <laughs> that's a weird name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I don't I know hope, if I'm into it. I know. I, I was like, I hope it's not really going to be called that. Yeah. Um, although now knowing that it's the name of the waterbed company, it, mm-hmm. it, it all kind of makes sense in my head, but, uh, yeah, licorice pizza. So Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, so this is named after a chain of record st- shops, a former, uh, record shops in Southern California. This is a quote from Paul Thomas Anderson. He said, if there's two words that make me kind of have a Pavlovian response in memory of being a child and running around, it's licorice and pizza. It instantly takes me back to that time. He said the words seemed like a catch-all for the feeling of the film that go well uh, together and maybe capture a mood. I agree, man. This is like a great title for yeah. a uh, for this movie. Yeah, it's or um, any movie. It definitely. It took me a while, I think, to get used to it. It's um, and I don't know why. I don't know why I bounced off of it um at first, but I I agree now. Yeah. It also, I think, is like the name of what they used to call records back in the day. They were like, you know, a record of vinyls, like a licorice pizza, you know, all black, big round pizza shaped thing. They used to call cassettes red vine calzone. (laughs) Uh, Made less sense. That made less sense. (laughs) Uh, Anderson wrote the screenplay with uh, Alana Haim in mind. Mm. 
uh, and he actually chose Cooper Hoffman uh, further down the line in the uh, in the casting process. Um, his decision was because he 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 found the auditioning young actors to be too uh, precocious and trained to match the naturalistic style of Himes uh, acting. This is also goes for uh, Hoffman as well. But uh, Licorice Pizza marks the feature film debut for both of them. Um, it's described as a family and friends project by the LA Times. The film yeah. also features uh, Maya Rudolph and their four children uh, and many of their neighbor neighborhood friends in various roles. Yeah, and like beyond that too, there's like a th- recurring theme in the film about just like family and who you make your family and like you know like cooper hoffman is the son of philip seymour hoffman which you know is a thing that been talked about to death already but it's worth mentioning alana hames whole entire families in this movie as well yeah Um, hey get this alana hames uh father who is in the film first name mordecai yeah i saw that i was wondering (laughs) when we were gonna bring that up (laughs) I thought it was too weird of a coincidence, but uh, it's almost like Brian hacked Wikipedia mm-hmm. and, and put that in. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden now, and then suddenly, like every character is starring someone named Mordecai. <laughs> um, they all have mustaches. Yeah. Also, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's father is in this movie as uh, the man who uh, he portrays a man who sells Gary a waterbed. Ah. Yes. That is Leonardo DiCaprio's dad, and apparently Paul never talked to Leonardo DiCaprio about casting his dad. He just did it, <laughs> um, which is uh, pretty funny. Um, yeah, I just feel like there's just like there's a lot of, uh, and plus it's all about like Paul's like life growing up and like his experiences in the seventies, and I don't know. It's like this is like this has got to be maybe one of the more personal films anyone's ever made. You know, it's like a like literally a screenplay written based off of a person's memories where he casts all of his friends and his own family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty like pretty cool. I don't know. I, I think that's really cool, especially when you watch the film and you realize it isn't like, I don't know what you would expect, but like it it's it's got teeth in it you know it's cool it's like it's not just like um i don't know we we cover uh in the little marty podcast usually if you're coming joining us for the first time just to hear us talk about licorice pizza we normally in this run of episodes have been covering the films of martin scorsese and, and adam sandler adam sandler is a guy who also i would say makes what is could be called friends and family films but it'll be a film that's probably like jack and jill where you know Got got like a twenty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. People don't really love it. It feels kind of phoned in. Um, but uh, I so I guess like like when you say friends and family film, I don't know. It kind of rubs me. It kind of paints a picture that I don't think quite describes this film, which is like this is a meat and potatoes cinematic experience. You know what I mean? Like this is an this is a film film. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jeremy, what's your, who's your favorite sort of like side character in this? Oh man. Cameo or just one off (sighs) side character. I, I'll tell, I actually only have a least favorite and it's Benny Safdie. I love that's your least favorite. Yeah. I love Benny Safdie IRL and I love, and I think he does a great job in this. I just, we'll get to it when we, when we talk about the, the plot or the film or whatever. But, um, uh, yeah, I just didn't like, I didn't, I thought his, his whole section of the movie kind of dragged on a little bit, but, mm. uh, I, but I really, I can't decide if I like Sean Penn and Tom Waits. <laughs> yeah. Tom Waits <laughs> as a collective, right. Or Bradley Cooper. They're both so good. Um, I'll tell you the, the person who made me laugh the hardest though, in the whole movie, Mordecai, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Alana Haim's dad, I think rocks. Rocks the freaking yeah. house down. What about you, Eric? Who's your favorite? I was going to say probably Tom Waits is my favorite. Yeah. Cameo. Yeah. Um 
Yeah. You know who 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 one of the one of the cameos or you know one of the one of the actors that I for the whole movie like whenever she would show up I was like, "Man, who is that? I recognize that person." Mm-hmm. And it, it it was so obvious after I, after I looked it up, uh but Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh, right. She's in this movie? From uh is that her name? Am I getting that wrong? Hold on. That that is the name of a person. Yeah, for sure. Winstead. The the um always sunny lady. Oh no. no. I'm getting her name wrong. But Mary she, she yeah, Mary Mary Elizabeth Ellis. You're very close. Hey, there we go. Yeah. I got two of them right. Yeah. She's Who's she's Mary great. Elizabeth Winstead? She is um from like Depth oh, Fargo. And Fargo the show, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Alice Winstead. It's all the same. <laughs> Jeremy, we're in the San Fernando Valley. It's 1973. 15-year-old Gary Valentine prepares for his high school picture day. Uh, he notices 25-year-old Alana Kane, a photographer's assistant, and strikes up a conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she rebuffs his advances, but ultimately later meets with him for dinner, and the two begin a friendship. Yes. Um. So, uh, this opening shot at the high school or middle school may be one of the most beautiful, like, opening shot sequences ever made. Yeah, it's great. Um, we get a lot of walking, a lot of walking and talking. There's a lot of walking and running, moving, too. There's also running. a lot of running in this movie, which we'll get yep. to. Um, but I remember when this film opens up, and it's just that that long take, walking through the school, that one shot where you're like, the camera's like losing actors, then finding them again later in frame. There's a lot of like movement happening. And I I was a bit overwhelmed seeing this first opening shot. It was just so. Well, I thought I, th- I felt like very well constructed, and um, be- like just just beautiful, and everything inside the frame was interesting. It was just such a great, great opening shot. It really wowed me right off the bat. And no special effects, nothing. Just just a camera moving around, show seeing people. You know what's crazy, Eric, is that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was the his own cinematographer for this film he just had michael bauman sort of helping him out but for the last two movies he hasn't had a dedicated dp interesting yeah um what did you what was your what was your take on this opening any any thoughts i thought it was great i i was immediately uh i was immediately uh, you know, drawn in with the uh, the the chemistry and the and just the the characters of of Cooper. I you know just from watching the trailer and seeing sort of the promotional materials, I didn't like. I wasn't prepared for Cooper Hoffman's just characters, just like completely uh, uh, I like overconfident. <laughs> his like overconfidence, you know what I mean? Like his character, I had like an idea of what his character was going to be like in my head. That was maybe a little bit more, uh, subdued and maybe like a shy guy yeah. kind of a thing. But, uh, man, I, uh, I really like him in this movie and I really hope to see him, uh, uh a lot more. I thought the exact same thing too. I thought, I thought his character was going to be more of like a luckless loser or something like sort of like more of like how I was in high school or something. And, no, the character's like a total Mac daddy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it was really fun. Yeah, I thought he was great. And um, immediately, I think I remember, th- I remember thinking Im- immediately that Alana Hain is one, is, could, if she wanted to, be one of the all-time greats. Like, she, she to me, blew me out of the water right from the get-go. I mean... You know, spoilers. I but I I do think she's probably the biggest standout of the movie, and just like so magnetic and so interesting, and she's got a very cool electric like performance style. And man, I really think she's she's awesome. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Um, yeah. So Gary attends auditions and appears in a variety uh, show with Lucy Doolittle. 
Uh, and when Gary's mother, Anita, reveals that she'll be in Las Vegas when she was supposed to take him to New York, Lana chaperones him instead. I do want to say, because we go to... Um, they end up having dinner, and we go to the... I forget the name of the place uh, that they go to. It has, like, a clever name, that, that, that restaurant that Gary's always frequenting. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love that Gary just like shows up to this like fancy restaurant all the time. Oh yeah. And uh, later in the movie, he, there's like a moment where he's like, I bet I can get us uh, like martinis or whatever. But he, uh, it reminds me, he very much reminded me of this kid uh, who was younger than me. He was in, lived in my neighborhood uh, when I was a kid who is like just one of those people who's like an old person trapped in a, yeah. child's body right like he ate at the same diner every morning <laughs> and like knew the names of all the the waitresses and stuff and <laughs> i don't know he's it's just a very it, like i love all the little quirks of gary and i there's there part of me you know was it was kind of like what is this what is this kid's life like how does he have all this like freedom and whatever but uh, after a while i kind of just stopped caring and just <laughs> was just kind of drawn into it Yes, um, the that restaurant um, was called Tale o' the Cock, and yeah. it is a uh, it's like an incredibly f- like popular uh, used to be an incredibly famous restaurant where literally the kinds of things that you see portrayed in this film happened there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, on the plane to New York, Alana meets Lance, one of Gary's uh, co-stars in a Doolittle film, uh, and the two begin dating, but they break up after an awkward dinner with Alana's family. <laughs> Here's a question for you, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we'll get into this, like the fact that the uh, uh, into what this movie is about in a while, but um, when you were like a young, like a young lad. Did you ever have an infatuation with like someone way older than you? Oh yeah. Did you ever like have that? And you're like, you know that that person is like, they're just too old. Like it just would never happen. Mm-hmm. But you like, you, you get jealous of their, yeah. you know, you get into a relationship. <laughs> like I found this to be like from Cooper's perspective to be extremely relatable yeah. to a way, way point where it's like. I think a lot of people can maybe relate to this mm-hmm. uh, from Cooper's angle yeah. uh, and just being like, that's like, it reminded me of like my first heartbreak kind yeah. of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it really like, it really tapped into this weird part of my uh, emotions, I guess. But I think yeah, that's I the, um, yeah. So, you know, I, you know, we'll probably discuss lightly, you know, the themes of the movie along with maybe the controversy surrounding licorice pizza. But yeah, to, you know, you should be getting a sense now if you're listening to us talk about the plot and and if you haven't seen the movie, that's crazy. You should go see the movie before you listen to this, but because we are going to just spoil the hell out of it. But if uh, you have seen the movie and you didn't, I mean, there's just no way around it. Like the movie's about, you know, an underage boy having a crush on an adult woman you know and it's like it's i you know i'm around this part in the film feeling that it's very truthfully depicted and that i'm relating very heavily to what's going on (laughs) on screen and it's just one of those maybe more uncomfortable truths about growing up that like there's almost no way to avoid it like probably across the board everybody who grows up has a crush on somebody much much older than them yeah usually a babysitter (laughs) (laughs) um on the uh let's see here gary starts a waterbed company with alana as an employee and assistant uh while selling beds at an expo he is arrested on suspicion of murder (laughs) but is soon released this is great this is so good this is so cool and like the whole time this is happening i was thinking in my head oh my god like he's going to be a legend now. (laughs) Like when I was growing up, there would have been nothing cooler than if the cops like stormed into my middle school room and then just arrested me in front of everyone. People would have thought like, Oh my God, 
Jeremy's so badass. Like, what did he do <laughs> to deserve that? Um, but yeah, this is also where we get an unlikely cameo from an old school uh, PTA actor. Did you happen to recognize who was playing Herman Munster at this event? Oh, yeah. Uh, John C. Riley. Yes. Right? The return. That was so, man, I laughed. I laughed out loud when I saw him playing uh, Herman Munster. Yeah. Uh, the return of John C. Riley in a Paul Thomas Anderson film has not been in one since Magnolia. So interesting, yeah, over twenty years ago. Um, but yeah, man, this is a uh, great. He's selling waterbeds. They're called Soggy Bottoms. Um, mm-hmm. He's a fifteen-year-old kid who's employing people, which is like such a weird aspect of this movie. Like such a weird premise, you know, and. Um, you know, Alana, Alana Kane, the character of Alana Kane in this is like, she's a 25 year old who is kind of a loser, you know, like she doesn't have a lot going on. She doesn't quite have a life. Um, you really get the sense that she's kind of stuck in her own life. And there's this very precocious, like charming young boy who's like kind of like wants to hang out and wants to have her around and wants to bring her in on his creative projects and on his uh little little businesses and she's kind of like you know she's reluctant because she understands that it's probably socially for her not like not the coolest move in the world to be hanging out with a high school kid but at the same time you know it's I think she she's like she has fun and she has fun with Gary and there's like a thing where it's like sort of like they're both kind of using each other in their own kind of weird way, you know? Yeah. Um when Alana decides she wants to try her hand at acting, Gary introduces her to his agent who gets her an audition for a film starring Jack Holden <laughs> and directed by Sam Harpoon. <laughs> These names. <laughs> Sam Harpoon. <laughs> After her audition, Alana accompanies Holden uh, to a local restaurant, which Gary and his friends, as well as film director Rex Blau, Mm -hmm. are also patronizing. Uh, Blau convinces Holden, an avid motorcycle enthusiast, to recreate a stunt on a local golf course uh, involving a jump over a fiery ramp. Uh, An inebriated Holden uh, brings Alana along, but she topples off the bike in the process. (laughs) Immediately. Yeah, immediately. (laughs) Gary runs to her. Also very sadly. It's like a very... (laughs) You feel really bad for her in that moment. Yeah. Uh, But Gary runs to her to make sure uh, that she is unhurt while Holden performs the stunt and subsequently wrecks the motorcycle, though he is unharmed. Yeah. This is a lot of stuff uh, wrapped into this uh, paragraph. Uh, first of all, what did you think of the uh, agent <laughs> that uh, uh, Gary introduces Alana to? <laughs> who plays the agent? Refresh my memory. Oh, I don't. I don't know the actress's name. Oh, I wish I could remember. But she's like a she's like a very pretty pretty recognizable character actor. Um, uh, but she's great. She's the one who comments on Alana's Jewishness like several times in the meeting. Ah, okay. There's like this extended close-up of her, just sort of red face, kind of laughing. And Harriet Sansom—that's her name. Yeah, pretty. Um. Uh. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty funny scene there. And then, of course, yeah, I think one of the greatest moments of the year on film is this this uh, sort of the scene from the audition with Sean Penn's character, Jack Holden, and mm. uh, through the dinner with Tom Waits as Rex Blau. Um, kind of just an incredible moment, not just in the story and it's not in, not just really funny, but like the meta con- context of this, which is like, we're getting a scene with Tom Waits and Sean Penn in a movie. That's pretty strange and fun. And like just what they're doing on screen is really crazy. And yeah, I mean, I don't know this, this whole thing is like great. <laughs> yeah. 
it's 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 something else. The uh, um, the actress who we were just talking about. Now I forget her name, but mm-hmm. she played. Uh, she was also in Phantom Thread as the uh, the sort of drunken woman in the dress at the at the ball. That's or right. Whatever. Who passes out and yes. then they undress her? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's she's really good. She's really good. And um. Yeah, Tom Waits. Uh, you know, you you can also see this part in the trailer, but he does like the whole like he's directing the actual stunt, like he's in the yes. director's chair. So he's saying like roll camera one, roll camera two, sound speed, all that stuff. And Sean Penn's character is pretty wacky <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> it's pretty good. He he comes off at first as so intense, and then when you get him in that restaurant, he becomes a total goof. <laughs> it's like yeah. It's pretty, I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking back on this scene and just smiling. It's just such a great, great moment. Yeah, I kind of want to watch this again while it's still out there in theaters. I think that'd be a good idea. I think I need to watch it again too, yeah. Uh, Gary, Alana, and Gary's friends deliver a waterbed to John Peter's <laughs> house as a gas crisis begins to sweep the nation mm. or the country. Uh, an irritated Peter's leaves to go see a film, but not before threatening to murder Gary's family, specifically his brother, if the group ruins his house. Uh, after sal- setting up the waterbed, an upset Gary floods the house before leaving with Alana. <laughs> they are later waved down by an uh, agitated Peters whose car had run out of gas. They drive him to a gas station, but he threatens a customer. <laughs> Alana and Gary leave him behind uh, with the latter stopping to attack Peter's car, but they soon run out of gas as well. Alana successfully maneuvers the truck, which, by the way, she does that. She like learned how to drive stick and stuff to do this. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she she drives the truck backwards down a hill until Gary and his friends uh, are able to fill the tanks. Uh, however, the waterbed uh, business ultimately fails as a result of the gas crisis. So yeah, man, this John Peters stuff is so good. Yeah, I, I mean, Bradley Cooper is sort of like there's more misses than hits for me, but when he's when he's in the, like a good comedic role, yeah, he can really do it, man. He's mm-hmm. he's so funny in this movie. He's incredible. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, th- I agree with you that like it's a lot of misses, but you know he is in Wet Hot, um, which is incredible, and uh, you know this and 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 several other things I've seen. But yeah, I mean, like this whole sequence. So first of all. W- you know, we'll kind of get to it, but I this I think should have come last in the movie because it's such a huge big finale, right? Like I don't know how I don't know if your theater was attended like sparsely or heavily attended, but um, in my theater, people were screaming when she was <laughs> driving backwards down the street. Like it was so tense in the theater. Yeah, people were going like gasping anytime she had to like roll gasless backwards down the hill or like when he smashes the car and then you find out they've run out of gas right next to the car. They just smashed. Like people started screaming. They were like, they couldn't handle it. Cause it was so, it was just such a big, huge suspenseful moment. Um, yeah. It's punctuated with so much comedy. It was like, it was just like a really good sequence, you know, where I felt like on the edge of my seat, my jaw was dropped. And then I was also laughing the whole time. And, uh, you know, Cooper as, as John Peters, um, is so, uh, again, he's such a creep, but he's charming. There's the whole Barbara Streisand thing. There's also the, the guy he's hanging out with, <laughs> which is like, yeah, I'm not sure what his job was, but, there's also like when he gets to the gas station, Bradley Cooper like in one motion like runs up, grabs a gas can, throws it at a guy's head, then grabs the <laughs> uh, the the uh, the gas hose, puts it in the guy's face, and then holds up a lighter as if like the guy was going to fight back. He won't do it now because <laughs> he's about to get burned. <laughs> it's like the just the cinematography in that gas station is just like unreal i mean it's yeah it's just like a perfect sequence in a in a film i don't know and it comes right on the heels of the last one (laughs) 
Um, Alana begins to work with uh, the Joel Wax mayoral campaign. Uh, Gary briefly joins her, but after overhearing that pinball has been legalized, he decides to open an arcade. Uh, the two cut ties after an argument during which Alana implies his uh, immaturity and he calls her old uh, retaliation. I, I'm just realizing that, like, g- you could almost see Gary's character, mm-hmm. like the progression of Gary's character over time, ultimately ending up being the exact sick character that Philip Seymour Hoffman is in uh, yeah. Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. They both this, sell like, mattresses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As uh, Gary prepares for the opening of his arcade, Alana is invited for drinks with Wax that night. Uh, I thought this was a really great scene too, by the way. This was um, just like figuring out like what, what what's going on and how I it, like, like, figuring out what's going on through Alana's perspective and uh, just the scene, whoever the, the character is that plays uh, uh, Joel Wax's partner does a really good job as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he's also kind of a a recognizable um, character actor as well. Uh, she arrives at the restaurant and learns Wax is gay after being introduced to his partner, Matthew. He asks her to take Matthew home uh as a as a beard yeah despite matthew's visibly hurt feelings uh afterwards alana apologizes to matthew and the two share kind words with each other after she takes him home alana later goes to gary's arcade to see him but finds him gone uh as he had left to find her at wax's office Uh, eventually the two reunite and head off uh for the arcade where the two share a kiss and run out of the arcade into the night, at which point Alana tells Gary she loves him. The end. The end, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, tell me, I mean, so there's parts of the Joel Wax stuff I like, but what overall, like, I mean, how do you feel about the end of this movie? I like the end. Actually, now that you uh, mention it, I do think that maybe the Joel Wax stuff is a bit of a, you know, de-escalation from what what happened yeah. before it. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, ultimately, I, I, I do think that that, that it uh, services the, I guess, the sort of arc of Alana, you know, falling in love with... Uh, Cooper's character or what have you but yeah I don't know there it, it, there is it's kind of like the film sort of like peaks with the Bradley Cooper stuff and then the Peter stuff and then um, there's just kind of more at the end that I do like but yeah it's just it, it, it seems a little uh, out of place but I don't know my thing with this movie is like the structure of it I I, I just I like it so much and I, I sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll watch a movie that has like a little bit more of an unconventional structure where it's just kind of like um, you're, you're just like watching a story that is not necessarily, you know, um, the way that Paul Thomas Anderson described it in an interview, like sort of summarized my experience with it perfectly is he, he, he described it as almost like, being at a bar, like someone at a bar, like telling you a story, you know, like that's yeah. like what this film is. It's like someone th- telling you a story. Like it's not like a three act structure kind of like right. conventional um, story structure, but it's more of a series of events. And, and honestly, it's a lot of this movie is just like a vibe to me. Yeah. It's a vibe that I like a lot. I really do like it. Um, so I don't know. I was kind of... Uh, to answer your question, I I, I, I think that uh, I like the ending. I think that yeah. I like the ending a lot. Um, I think the Joel Wax stuff was uh, an interesting turn. I do really like Benny Safdie as this character. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, necessarily that I need the Joel Wax stuff in general. Like, you could have put, like, a, a number of other things could could be there. I'm kind of indifferent to the the Joe Wax character in this movie, but I like his portrayal. I I do too. I I think I agree with you. Like I I 
the Joel Wack, if if the movie's a vibe and you're just kind of along for the ride, it kind of doesn't, and, and you and you're not too worried about like conventional escalation techniques in cinema. I mean, it, yeah, like having a little bit of a downturn into this Joel Wack stuff definitely doesn't bother me. And I do like Benny Safdie, um, in general. I yeah, so I yeah, I definitely it definitely wasn't like something I really bumped up against a lot. I think for me, the very ending is what I is what I want to know how you felt about. Cause it, it's essentially what you see is, you know, after this entire movie, this sort of like platonic that rides a very fine line relationship between a 15 year old boy and a 25 year old crosses like that line into like they, they kiss and then they run out of the arcade and she says, I, I love you, Gary, uh, whatever his name is, Gary hop. Uh, Valentine, I love you, Gary Valentine, and then it rolls to credits. And I, I don't, I think I just didn't need that. <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't need that either. I actually, I, I kind of wish I didn't need the kiss. I don't need. I, I don't want it to. I, like, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I kind of, I don't want that relationship to to flourish. <laughs> flourish. If yeah. it does, I don't want to see it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think that's how I feel too. And like, and like. It, it also didn't feel super truthful because like, I think that like what, what's, I think what a lot of people probably relate to is like the idea of having a crush on your babysitter or having a crush on someone much older than you. Like that is what this movie sort of brings that feeling out of. And in real life, you don't end up with your babysitter. <laughs> you know, you don't actually end up uh, with the person that you had a crush on who's, much older than you. Usually it's an unrequited thing. But in this, they almost make it seem like they're going to end up together. Not quite. Not like fully. You know, like, is she saying I love you like I'm in love with you or I love you as a as a person friend, you know? Definitely feels romantic. Definitely feels romantic. And it does. I, yeah. and, and from every interview I've heard PTA talk about this movie, he, he says that it's very innocent. He maintains that this is an innocent movie where nothing happens. Like no lines get crossed, and I take that sort of with a grain of salt. Watching it, because I'm like, hmm. But there is a kiss. Is that a friendship kiss? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. I think it's a. I think it's more, more, more of a romantic thing. I think we are, though, no matter what the answer is, I think we're definitely, at least my read is, we're meant to imp- we're meant to imply that whatever happens after that movie rolls credits, it's it's like it's just like a train wreck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like yeah. I don't expect anything good or wholesome to come out of what happens at the end of that movie. It does it's no. it's not a um it's a it's like a fake ha- fake out happy ending or something. It's uh, something that I have been almost like trying not to think about yeah. with, this mo- yeah. with this movie. It is weird. I don't know, man. It's like, I, I, I got to say, like, it seems like everyone, I mean, I spend a lot of time on film Twitter. Mm-hmm. It seems like those people love this movie. It seems like a lot of people love this movie. Yeah. I love this movie. I think this is a really good movie. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it seems like people aren't, this conversation is happening, but not really as much as I kind of expect to be honest well, with you. It, it, like, I think, I, I, I think don't know. Cause you just jumped back on Twitter after a pretty big hiatus. I think the conversation oh, yeah, already happened because okay. I remember when the movie came out, it was the two things that people talked about the most were, um, the age gap and what the film is trying to say about that. But then also the, they talked about the, um, John Michael Higgins character as Jerry Frick, the guy who opens yeah. the restaurant. And uh-huh. uh, I'm kind of glad we didn't even touch on that because that's like such a weird yeah, di- dicey part of the film, um, you know, and, it, but it's in there and that's, and that's a thing to think about, you know, like when we're, when we consider these films, it's like, you know, be, you know, taking the whole thing and not just selecting the parts of it that we like, but, I will say that 
Um, it seems like the conversation around licorice pizza film Twitter almost seems like it's bullied everyone out of <laughs> yeah. complaining about it, which is, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm for that. You know, I feel like we did, we did talk about it or at least I saw it on Twitter. I saw people discussing the John Michael Higgins stuff and yeah, it's, it's not great. And I think that that's okay. And I, th- I still think the movie can be a great film and, and have a part that I wouldn't have put in there. And then, you know, the age gap stuff. I think people just don't care anymore because they love the film. And, and a lot of people relate to the film and they find the film to be truthful, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think, I think that discourse is just kind of boring now. At this I will point. say that the, it's also, the film is not like saying that it is okay. No, it's definitely not. You know not. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not. And it's <laughs> definitely anything, not. anything, it's saying it's not okay. Yeah, and, it, and like, it's definitely not saying that these characters are good or right, you know? Um, even though I do love them dearly, um, I do think they're deeply flawed. Like Alana Haim's character yeah. in this is deeply flawed, and I love her for that. I think she's she's an incredibly compelling protagonist, and so is Gary Valentine. Like they're both kind of lovable shitheads, and I think that's what's so so intriguing about them, and so cool, and and yeah, just all these cameos and being back in this time period with Paul, really like. Just great, great stuff. Um, uh, so give me a freckle rating, my man. Five uh, out of four, Chucky of four, freckles. I think I'm gonna have to give this one um, probably. It's gonna get a three point seven five. Like uh, almost a perfect, almost a perfect score. Yeah, this is one that I I really feel like I uh, I I I wish I wish I had the opportunity to watch it again Me before too. we did this, because um, I don't know, man. Like you go into a Paul D- uh, Thomas Anderson movie, and like there's like a him more than anyone. I just like there's like a moment where I in the movie where I'm like, okay, man, I'm just kind of like taking it all in, but. I need to watch this again, sort of a f- for sort of a feeling. Um, I feel like the second watch of a PTA movie is like the real watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the real experience. But uh, yeah, I I would have to agree with you. I would give this a three point seven five two. It's not a it's not a perfect movie. Here's some, uh, but it it is very close to, to to perfect for me. And also, what even is perfect? And yeah, you know, whatever. But one thing we didn't talk about at all. The soundtrack is like unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, just the music choices, the life on Mars, obviously yeah. the uh, uh, let me roll it. I mean, there's just so many great choices and he could have made some very sort of like down the line, like choices, uh, you know, music choices that we've heard before, you know, some Rolling Stones and stuff. But man, I don't know. Like, especially let me roll. It is a song that I went through a, a huge wings phase when I was in my early twenties. Oh yeah. And to hear that in like one of my favorite directors movies and to know, man, out of all the songs from that era, he picked this song that I used to play all the time. It's so good. And everyone's talking about it now. And you know, Paul McCartney is like, so in the conversation right now because of get back and, mm-hmm. and this, and it's, it's just, it's great. Do, do you have a favorite, uh, a favorite song from, from the film? Oh man. Um, let me go back to the needle drops just so I can remember them here. Yeah. There's the, uh, uh, there's one where uh, the DJ the DJ announces that he's gonna play the Doors, and I'm like, ooh, which one? Because I I, yeah. I don't like the Doors, but uh-huh. there's one Doors song that I love. Yeah, and he played it. It's Peace Frog. Oh, that's Wah, great. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Go down the streets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. Green sleeves, <laughs> the green sleeves needle drop is pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's all it's it's all good. I'm having a hard time like remembering one, but it's also been like over a month now since I've seen the film. So that I, is true. I would love to watch it again and just uh, yeah, just sort of um, pick it 
pick it apart a little bit more. Great. Pick great it or stuff. ticket, Jeremy. Yeah, pick it or ticket. <laughs> uh, well, Jeremy, uh, we have to. Well, we have to record an episode on the film Mordecai, which if you want to hear that that episode, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. We're doing great stuff over there in 2022. Uh, uh, it's going to be a great time. And by the way, if you sign up for the $5 tier, you automatically get access to what is now, I don't know, two years, three years worth of bonus content. Uh, That's right. Yeah, it's all it's all good stuff. Um and uh, I am back on Twitter, Jeremy. Uh, give me a follow at, at Halloween Eric. Same handle for Letterboxd as well. I'm trying to do a letterbox now. Uh, so check me out there. Follow the show at, at Hubie Halloween One. Jeremy, anything you want to plug? Nah, that's it. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams.